Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hello, hello. It is Thursday, if you're listening when this came out, and you know what that means. It is time for Rossafari Zoo News, where we look at the news in the world of zoos and conservation. So uh, welcome back. We're here for the third week of, of Zoo News. It's, it's been going really well. I'm very grateful to everyone who has been sending me comments and suggestions. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to have this as part of the Rossafari Radio Network, which is a thing that doesn't exist. But um, yeah, I hope that you guys are enjoying it uh, as much as the people who have told me they are, seem to be. And uh, we're going to have some more fun with it this week. Not only do I have a lot of great and interesting news stories for you, but I've been playing with some producing, y'all. We're getting some bumpers for the uh, the different sections. And I'm going to tell you, I don't just plan on having the ones that you hear here. Get ready for a lot of fun over the next couple of weeks as I keep working on and introducing new songs to the Rasafari news episodes. If you don't know what a bumper is, well, sit tight. You're going to find out. Before we get to this week's news, I just wanted to take a moment to remind y'all to make sure that you're following along at Rasafari on Instagram and Facebook and at Rasafari Pod on TikTok. You can also email me at rasafaripod at gmail.com. Um, send me stories, especially for, for Zoo News. Uh, you know, I, I can't do this alone, or I can, but it'll take a lot longer. And I appreciate the people who have contributed already over the last couple of weeks. Uh, also, friendly reminder, there is a Patreon. You can help support this podcast. Donations start as low as $3 a month, and uh, it just helps me, you know, Keep doing the good work that I'm doing, especially now that I am vaccinated and starting to travel more to actually get to these zoos to bring you better sounding stories and stories that have animal noises and, and all the fun things that you've come to love. Also, keep in mind that you can email me or message me if you would like to get your very own Rossafari stickers. I have two different kinds, which you can see on the Instagram. And, um, they're beautiful. They're awesome. They're wonderful. Uh, they were designed by a friend and fan, and uh, I just, I love them to death. Uh, so check out um, L.E. Artisan Studios on Instagram, and check out Lara and the awesome artwork she's doing there. And like I said, you can message me to get your Rasafari stickers. 350 gets you one, 650 gets you both. Okay, enough plugs. It is time for... Zoom News. It's the news that's about zoos. And we start this week over in the UK, where zoos have finally been allowed to open after a four-month shutdown. That's right, y'all. In London, things have been shut down again uh, because of COVID, obviously. And zoos have not been allowed to operate for the last four months. But last week, we're finally able to reopen. This is not only great news for the people who want to go to the zoos, but it's great news for a lot of the staff that had been laid off 
during the uh, cutbacks. I know a lot of people in zoo education that I've talked to really struggled with losing their jobs over this time. But now that people are back and money is coming in again, hopefully those people will be rehired. In general, it's just great to know that these zoos are back to educating people and making their lives a little bit better, especially while COVID still ravages the world. So to all my friends at Flamingoland and the London Zoo and Longleat and all those other amazing places that I love in the UK, congratulations on reopening, and I hope that the people at your zoos are being better behaved than the people that are back at the reopened American zoos. Speaking of COVID-19, three tigers at the Virginia Zoo have tested positive for the virus. On top of that, the Asian small-clawed otters at the Georgia Aquarium have also tested positive and been showing mild symptoms including runny noses, lethargy, sneezing, and coughing. They are doing well and are expected to have a full recovery and are currently being kept off exhibit until they are able to fully recover. Keep in mind, these animals are added to the ranks of the gorillas at the San Diego Zoo that received the COVID vaccine after contracting coronavirus, the tigers at the Bronx and Fort Wayne Children's Zoo that have recovered from the disease, and a few animals in international zoos that have actually died from COVID, including a couple of tiger cubs, which happened at the Lahore Zoo in Pakistan. Now look, I get that there is a certain level of fatigue about dealing uh, with and even hearing about this disease. I'm sure some of you are like, ugh, let's get to cool animal stories instead. And trust me, I hear you. But I have to say it. Get your vaccine, wear your mask, socially distance, and please keep in mind that you might be enjoying a day at the zoo, but zookeepers and the animals do not have a choice about being there. This is their job, and they are essential employees and animals. So uh, just for their sake, please mask up, get your vaccine, and take this seriously so we can all get back to enjoying zoos without masks. And that is enough soapboxing by me, at least for now. There's going to be some more soapboxing later, I promise. So let's go to something a little bit happier, although it looked scary for a little bit. Any of you who have been following along on my Instagram know about Stubby and Squirrel. Stubby is the resident manatee who is unable to be released at the Columbus Zoo. She's the only manatee that lives there full-time because what they do is they rescue manatees, rehab them, and then release them. And Stubby helps them learn how to be manatees if they are young. In all of the years of serving as a foster parent, Stubby has never had a foster child quite like Squirrel before. Squirrel is a very small, growing manatee who was brought in to be rehabilitated, and she is completely and madly in love with Stubby. It is adorable. Squirrel will rarely leave Stubby's side. Now, we talk a lot on this podcast about how keepers are able to really know their animals and recognize when things are wrong well before a normal person could. And the beauty of this story is that when Squirrel got sick, the way keepers noticed it first was that she was separating herself from Stubby. I just, that, I, I can't. It's so adorable. It's so adorable. After a while, they realized that she was also not eating well and then realized she was not producing feces. Pooping is important, y'all. When there are no poops, it's not a good thing. One of the craziest things about this is that manatees often suffer from 
dehydration. Now, I know what you're thinking, but dude, they, they live in the water, right? But actually, the, the way that manatees get most of their water is from the plant material that they eat. They don't really drink the water that they're swimming in, which I guess makes sense since they also like poop in it and pee in it and bother their sea turtle friend buddy in it, uh, at least at the Columbus Zoo. And also, manatees tend to go between saltwater, freshwater, and brackish water, something that many species don't do, so uh, drinking it wouldn't be the best idea. So anyway, when initial treatments that were done in the pool were not considered successful enough, Squirrel was actually sedated and given a full CT scan. It went super well and showed that there were not any major issues, but it did show that her GI tract were having some issues, especially moving the, the food along. So the amazing staff at the Columbus Zoo decided to uh, do some more advanced treatments. And sure enough, in a little bit of time, she was eating well again, started pooping again, and even farting a lot. Yes, that's right. These were happy farts because moving gas is an important part of what a manatee's body does. Of course, the final test came when Squirrel was put back into the rehab pool, and guess what she did? You guessed it, hopped right over to Stubby and started swimming along, looking like she was riding on her the whole time. Reunited, and it feels so good. So amazing the amount of work that people at the zoos like Columbus will do for one single animal. It makes me so happy every time I hear a story like this. And speaking of saving animals, the Oakland Zoo gets some credit this week for helping to save one of the most common animals on the planet, a human. When an elderly man was admitted to Highland Hospital in Oakland, it was believed that he had food poisoning. They did some basic treatments with very potent antibiotics, and he was not improving at all. So... They did further testing and realized that it wasn't food poisoning, but in fact was an incredibly rare parasite that is known for attacking people's intestines. The best way to treat this disease is with the drug called ivermectin. Now, any of you in the vet or wildlife rehab community recognize that drug's name as it is used in a lot of animal care. Ivermectin is also used to treat humans, but it is only approved for use in humans in pill form, and that was not going to help the patient in this case. Instead, an injectable form of the drug was the only thing that would save this man's life. And guess what? That's how we give it to animals. Dr. Colin Feeney, the man treating the patient, realizing that he was running out of time, sent an email to the Oakland Zoo. But, like, he didn't have any actual contacts there. So he literally just sent an email to info at oaklandzoo.com, which is normally the inbox that gets questions about buying tickets, wearing masks, all that kind of stuff. He made the subject heading emergency and sent it off hoping for the best. Fortunately, Jasmine Gregory, the receptionist and group services coordinator at the zoo, was on duty that day and took the subject heading seriously. She saw the email and immediately got in touch with Dr. Alex Herman, the vice president of veterinary services at the zoo. They quickly gathered the supplies necessary, handed them off to Feeney in his car window, and he went back to the hospital to take care of his patient, who survived. Seriously, nice work all around to everyone involved. Also worth mentioning, Dr. Feeney is a member of the Oakland Zoo who made sure to renew his membership after they helped him out. 
I'm not saying that the Oakland Zoo wouldn't have helped a non-member, but I am saying that that zoo membership might have saved a life. Okay, I'm 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 totally kidding. Of course, the Oakland Zoo would have done the right thing regardless. But like, hey, become a member at your local zoo. They're awesome and need some financial help right now. And you may save some old guy's life. And from old guys to young animals, it's time to talk about some births at zoos recently. Now, unless it's an incredibly slow news week, I'm not going to talk about animal births every week simply because, yo, there are a lot of animals in a lot of zoos across the world. And uh, if you've listened to Rasafari After Dark, then you know that there's a lot of baby making happening. However, a rhino born in Wichita, Kansas is unique in that it was an unexpected rhino. Clyde Jr. is a baby black rhino whose mother, Bibby, gave birth to him without anyone seeing it coming. It is important to remember that rhino pregnancies are very different than human or most other species that we uh, observe in zoos. Rhino mothers carry their babies for 16 months, sometimes longer. What makes this birth super interesting is that the last male rhino at the zoo, whose name was Rhino, passed away in September of 2020. Apparently, Bibby became pregnant in October of 2019, but didn't actually start showing signs of pregnancy until the last few weeks of 2021. Lab tests confirmed the pregnancy, and the staff had to start to scramble to baby-proof their rhino exhibit. And on March 1st, Clyde Jr., affectionately known as KJ, was born. And that brings us to... Presentation! Presentation! News time! Oh yeah! Party on, zoos! Party on, conservation! Oh my gosh, I am such a goober. All right, let's take it to Australia, y'all. You may remember, back in the episode with Dr. Natalie Taco, a discussion about something that is ravaging the Tasmanian devil population, which is devil facial tumor disease. New research from the University of Tasmania has estimated roughly how much of a decimation on the population this disease has been. In 1996, before the disease started, it was estimated that there were 53,000 Tasmanian devils still alive in the wild, and today, only 17,000 remain. It is also estimated that devil facial tumor disease can now be found on 90% of Tasmania. The good news is that the disease is no longer believed to have a 100% fatality rate as it used to be. None of the locally monitored populations have gone completely extinct, and on top of that, models forecast that the decline should plateau within the next decade. This is really great news, as it was believed for a long time that Tasmanian devils were facing imminent extinction because of this disease. One interesting side note of the study is that the Tasmanian devil population is now so low they are not filling the same ecological niche that they used to. Tasmanian devils are known for eating carrion and act as land vultures, getting rid of a lot of the carcasses of animals across the island of Tasmania. However, the population has declined so much they are no longer effective in doing this. Thus, it is important not just for devils not going extinct, but also for the overall ecological health of Tasmania that the species not only be saved, but also encouraged to repopulate to higher numbers. 
Professor Mina Jones of the University of Tasmania states that based on this lower risk of imminent extinction, we have time to allow the devils to recover themselves. We suggest a management focus that facilitates and does not impede the evolution of natural resistance to DFTD. This could include selecting resident devils and moving these beneficial genomes to other areas. We caution that the species is not out of the woods yet, and we need to do all we can to reduce other sources of mortality, like vehicle collisions. Okay, so for those of you following along at home, if you listened to my recent interview with Chad Crittle, you heard about tree kangaroos for the first time in depth on this podcast. And I told you you'd be hearing a lot more about them because they are one of my favorite species. Well, now tree kangaroos are in the news. Tree kanga news, I guess you could say. Port Moresby Nature Park in Papua New Guinea has gotten an incredible partnership with Newcrest Mining Limited. Newcrest is funding the construction of a much-needed rescue and breeding facility at Nature Park, which will enable the conservation of endangered tree kangaroos, according to EMTV. Papua New Guinea, you may remember, is home to 12 of the 14 species of tree kangaroos, with the other two existing in Australia, because of course they do. The donation includes 400,000 kina, which is roughly $113,314.44 in U.S. dollars, thank you, Google, being used to build a new tree kangaroo rescue and breeding center that will house up to 18 individuals in addition to the 13 tree kangaroos that are already living at the nature park. That is so many tree kangaroos, and I want to go to there. The nature park currently has Matchies, Goodfellows, and Doria's tree kangaroos, but this new center will enable them to house other species, which is really cool as more and more of them are becoming more and more endangered. This donation and new center that is being built gives an incredible new lease on life for one of my favorite species, and I am so excited to see all of the amazing things that happen once the center is built. All right, so let's move on to some good news about one of the most threatened species on the planet, Saiga. Saiga, by the way, uh, autocorrects to Santa if you don't pay attention on your iPhone. So when I was looking at my notes for this episode, I stumbled upon the fact that I was about to do a story about Santa conservation. That was confusing. That doesn't happen until December. For those of you that don't know, saiga are a hoofstock species. They are a type of antelope, and they are an ancient species. Saiga have been on the earth since the Ice Age, so they've already done better than mammoths and saber-toothed tigers, but uh, humans are helping take care of that. Saiga used to be found commonly all over Europe, Asia, and even Alaska, but now their range is down to Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Russia, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan, according to the Saiga Conservation Alliance. However, there is some good news coming out of the World Wildlife Fund, as a study done recently shows that Mongolian saigas are bouncing back from almost near extinction. In 2001, there were only 75 Mongolian saigas left in the world. And in 2021, the population count came out at 8,500. That is incredible. Also, it is believed that there has been zero poaching from 2018 to 2021 of the Mongolian saiga, which is a major reason that um, this population was able to grow so swiftly. 
Although they are by no means out of the woods yet, this is another great win for conservationists working hard to save lesser-known species. Also, as a quick aside, did you know that the WWF is no longer actually called the World Wildlife Fund anywhere except for in Canada and the United States? It officially changed its name to the Worldwide Fund for Nature. And now we head back to the United States, where the WWF still has its real name, to uh, go to Florida and talk about some coral. Now keep in mind, coral are animals. They are, in fact, marine invertebrates. And, get ready for a shocker, they are in serious trouble due to human interference in their habitats. Shocking, I know. However, the Florida Coral Rescue Center is here to help. The center is being set up under the guidance of the AZA and has other groups working with them, including Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, NOAA Fisheries, SeaWorld, and funding organizations such as the Disney Conservation Fund, Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida, and even Bass Pro Shop and Cabela's. Good stuff, right? The scientists and aquarists at this center are building the largest ever gene banking facility for corals, as well as a huge national network of coral holding. Many coral species have never been held in human captivity before, but scientists are using the knowledge that we have of the ones that we do have in captivity to set up the proper conditions for these other species of coral. And of course, housing the genetics and the actual members of the species isn't enough to save a population, so they are also working on coral breeding. Different corals reproduce in different ways, some sexually and some asexually, and each species has its own very specific requirements as far as pH balance, temperature, and lighting, which the scientists are successfully figuring out because there are a little baby corals being born. I love this story for a lot of reasons, including that it's saving a species that is not only considered charismatic, but is also one that a lot of people don't even realize is an actual animal species, and also because it is showing so much collaboration. Go Team Coral! And now... In other news... Our other news category starts in Landover, Maryland, home of the team currently known as the Washington football team. Given that they had a team name that was racist for a long time, uh, you know, we're pretty happy with this improvement, even though it is kind of weird since they don't, you know, play in Washington. But hey, whatever. That's actually a common thing in the NFL. Both uh, New York teams are actually based in New Jersey. So last season, the team changed its name from a Native American pejorative to the Washington football team, claiming that it is a temporary name, although they are considering sticking with it full time. They played under that name last season and will do so again this season. The team is currently accepting suggestions from fans on what their name should be, and one of the most popular candidates to emerge is the Red Wolves. Red wolves, as you have heard on the podcast many times, are one of the most critically endangered animals in North America. There's currently one wild population in North Carolina that has 10 members of the species. 
Many, many zoos across the country are actually managing populations and not just as zoo animals, but in a very hands-off way in the hope of reintroducing these animals to the wild. But a lot of lawsuits from people in North Carolina who are afraid that wolves will wreak havoc on the other animals there have prevented this. In fact, the question of whether to allow these animals and future ones bred for this purpose to be released into North Carolina wilderness is currently working its way through the U.S. court system. So why does this matter? Well, it's the same exact thing we talked about last week with Turning Red being exciting for me because a Pixar movie about a red panda is going to raise awareness. If you get a bunch of football fans who love Red Wolves to hear about Red Wolves, wear jerseys that say Red Wolves, they might also hop online to learn about the plight of the Red Wolf. I mean, can you really fall in love with Spunky, the adorable Red Wolf mascot for the team that I just made up in my head, and not be curious about the animal that it's based on? I really, really hope that this name comes to fruition because it could do a lot of good for an incredibly rare and important species. And maybe it would be nice to have a Washington football team have a name that does good instead of bad for a change. Hmm. Now, I promised you another rant in this episode, and here it comes, but this one isn't mine. This one actually comes from friend of the pod, Danny Poirier-Larson, who gave me permission to read it to y'all. Danny writes... It's spring, and that time of year when I regularly get contacted by, or see, well-intentioned people attempting to intervene and in some cases rehabilitate native wildlife, mostly birds and small mammals. So here's a little rant. The bottom line, it is illegal to attempt to rehabilitate native wildlife on your own without proper permitting, despite your best intentions. People with good intentions sometimes try to rescue or care for young wildlife. In fact, the opposite is true. Human involvement can cause a lot of problems for these young creatures. Animals brought into human care end up missing out on learning experiences needed to survive in the wild. Even worse, the animal may die at the hands of someone who doesn't fully know how to care for the animal. Animals released into the wild are at a disadvantage as they lack the skills needed to find natural food and cover. Young wildlife cared for by humans often end up attached to people with little fear. This can lead to animals wandering into populated areas, attacked by domestic animals, hit by cars, getting into stored food, trash cans, or residencies, and injuring people. When it comes to finding birds, young birds naturally have a low chance of survival, which keeps populations in balance with available resources. While baby birds may look helpless, they usually do not need your assistance unless you see visible signs of injury. If you find a hatchling or nestling, young birds without feathers, outside the nest, you can try to safely return it to its nest. The parents will not reject it if you touch it. If you find a fledgling, a young fully feathered bird, outside the nest, leave it be. While it is spending some time hopping around on the ground learning how to fly, its parents are likely nearby and still taking care of it. When you find bunnies and other young mammals, well, generally young mammals are visited by their mother only a few times a day to avoid attracting predators to the young. For example, a nest of bunnies will only be visited by the adult female twice per day to nurse. The young are generally safe when left alone because their color patterns and lack of scent help them remain undetected. In most cases, it is best to leave young animals alone. If you do find a wild animal that is injured, it may be assisted, but not by just anybody. A person is legally required to deliver the animal immediately to a licensed rehabilitator. 
Of course, these laws vary from state to state, but most, if not all states, have some laws protecting wildlife and saying that if you do find something injured, you do need to take it to a rehabilitator. If you are concerned about wildlife health, well, here's something that you can do legally. Keep your pets indoors or restrained. Keep your cats inside, y'all. One way you can help wildlife without actually caring for it is to keep your pets indoor or restrained. This helps wildlife as pets often like to chase and hunt songbirds and other mammals. This also helps your pet to avoid dangers posed by wild animals, other pets, and automobiles. Keep them inside, y'all. And that was Danny Poirier Larson's rant, as read by me. Now it's time for Animal Holidays. It is still April, which means it is Adopt-A-Ferret Month, National Frog Month, National Pest Management Month, and Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Month. April 24th is National Go Birding Day, so go birding, and also National Save the Frogs Day. Perhaps most importantly, it's also World Veterinary Day. Did you know that the rate of death by suicide in the veterinary community is three times that of the average population? It's a lot, y'all. So uh, please take some time on World Veterinary Day to tell the vets that you know that you love and respect them. This is followed by April 25th, which is World Penguin Day. Yay, flappy birds. And if you haven't had a chance yet, please make sure that you check out our friends at uh, Penguins International. They are an incredible organization doing a ton of amazing work to help save this iconic bird species. April 26th is Audubon Day and National Help a Horse Day. So I guess if you see an old horse crossing the street, be like a Boy Scout and, you know, help it help it cross. I don't know. And then April 27th is Marine Mammal Rescue Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, y'all, we've done it. Another exciting week of zoo news. Love it. I'm hoping that you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. And uh, most importantly, that you're learning a thing or two. As always, if you see stories that you think should be on my Zoo News episodes, please send them to me on Facebook, Instagram, email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. You know, lots of ways to reach me. My final thought for this week is just a quick reminder that as of Monday, April 19th, President Joe Biden has announced that everyone age 16 and over is now eligible to get the COVID vaccination. Do your part, y'all. Go get your vaccine. I did, and I am so excited about it. I'll see y'all on Tuesday with a cool episode from Africa. And remember, y'all, the phrase Newsy Credits Backward is Yeswin Steiderk. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.